there have been filmmakers before and revolutions even before that, but what rose from cachet du cinema is beyond even those. It unleashed a figure onto the world stage who shaped and molded everything for the rest of motion pictures. He had a spirit and an eye that is unmatched and an influence that will never be rivaled. He was one of the greatest politicians and one of the greatest teachers without ever taking office or stepping in a classroom. He had a revolution that will last longer than those that came before in a technical prowess that defined and broke and subsequently rewrote every rule in the book. He is Verite Cinema. He is cinema. Tonight, throw on a criterion transfer of one of his works and let the master teach you once again. God is in his name. It is Jean-Luc Godard. This episode is dedicated to Jean-Luc Godard. Rest in peace. Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Called Podcast. Tonight, it's the old guitar tech for Faith No More, Fishbone, David Bowie, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, Guns N' Roses, Tool. He's the co-founder of A Perfect Circle and founder of Ashes Divide. He has a brand new album, self-titled, mind you. It's Billy Howard L. Billy, how are things? Things are good. I just got back in town from a little um, little fun trip up to San Francisco to go see uh, the Motley Crue Stadium Tour fiasco. Well, okay. That. Well, well, now I need to know how how was it? It was it was great. It was uh, yeah, it was fun. It was pretty. It was pretty fun. Um, kind of a last minute thing. Um, you know, it was just kind of surreal. I, I mean, I, we were sure I went with Danny Loner with my buddy, Danny Loner, and we got a um, bandmate and friend Danny Loner. Um, so we got up there to see Joan Jett early. She was fantastic. It was, it was amazing. I, I can't believe she's been doing this for how many decades. She sounds, you know, indistinguishable from the seventies or eighties. How many times have you seen the crew before, though? And well, and, and how was Poison? How was the rest of the show? Yeah, it was great. Um, I've seen Motley Crue twice before. Yeah, uh, you know, it was just fun. It's like a spectacle. Um, uh, I had never seen De- well, I'd never seen Poison or Def Leppard before. Um, yeah, I mean, Poison like is you know, it's like party band. It was fun, and uh, but the the Def Leppard thing we caught part of it because we were back saying hi to the Motley Crue guys and uh god I can't believe I was such a snob in high school I did not partake in Def Leppard and then like you know <laughs> as time went on realized how amazing that band you know how many songs are amazing like how many amazing songs they've written and uh they sounded they sounded great I'm I'm really glad that you brought up Joan Jeb because I, I I wanted to kind of start this off with with your tour that you just were on and you had vows opening that up and what a fucking cool band like that. Like, is it really important to you like before now and, and going forward to really have an, an, an opening band that, that you really appreciate? Yeah, but that's not always the case. You know, you're kind of given sometimes, you know, circumstance doesn't allow, you know, it's, it's not like you can always get exactly who you want with the vows thing. They're kind of new friends of mine. I, Danny, uh, loner turned me on to Riz, the singer, and, you know, it's a, it's an Australian duo, um, Riz and Matt, they're in vows. And, um, in the beginning of this album cycle for what normal was, I needed a music video for poison flowers. And, and he said, let's talk to Riz. And we became fast friends. And, and, you know, as tour started coming on, they were holding the schedule just worked out. And, uh, yeah, it was great. We had them on our bus and it was, it just made it for even, you know, more, uh, it was a fucking awesome family experience, you know. How was the last tour? Was it was it good just getting back out there for a little bit? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it it was fun, um, but you know, it's rebranding. It's and I think there's a lot of well, I know there's a lot of like name confusion. <laughs> so <laughs> what seemed like a great idea became, you know, a little bit of an uphill battle of 
people coming to the show and saying, why didn't you advertise this? Or, uh, when are you going to do Ashes Divide? And, and, you know, there's, so, you know, I, I totally get it in, in, you know, the world I live in or the world we're living in, in, in the band was like, of course it's, you know, it's cemented into what it is and to everyone else are like, is this the second Ashes record or what, you know, it, it somehow it's confusing. So, you know, it's just, time will kind of fix that but it, uh, that being you know that aside it was it was great it was great it was the people that were there seemed to appreciate it we were you know found our groove two weeks in you know about I don't know, six shows in and it was yeah it was it was fun it was really fun and it was nice to get out again I mean you know from being locked down in COVID and everyone's just kind of peeking their head through the cracks and just finally getting out there and doing it and it didn't feel that restricted honestly i thought it would feel a little more locked down and a little bit more um awkward but it was it was surprisingly loose i just want to say what normal was is this album is amazing and i wasn't expecting okay. it from you like i straight up wasn't <laughs> i i'm yeah. like is it and i think i was in the boat of everybody we're like is this going to be like an ashes divide kind of like light kind of a thing and, and i didn't know really what right. to expect but then i put this album on and i was completely blown away and it really reminded me of what greg's doing with uh with the black queen and i'm curious because it is funny because i saw you oh it must have been 2016 maybe at the union for that for that show with them and i was wondering is it what guys like greg were doing where you were like i'm comfortable in going to this realm and and revisiting the eighties kind of, but making it fresh or were you even working on this kind of a sound even before then? Yeah. I, I, you know, I will give some credit to, or getting, you know, you're always, well, I am always looking at, um, strategy and influence, right? There's just two almost competing things where you could look at it like that, but what ultimately draws you in is just, you know, the moment time. So like, yeah, black queen is, a little bit of revisiting, but it's a modern twist on it. More, I say, more modern than even more revisiting. But it's, it's uh, for me, these songs are almost more like what. Hold on one second. My connection just got weird. Th these songs are a little more like what my demos always kind of are before I flush them out and kind of distill them down to, let's say, with Perfect Circle, like a two guitars, bass, and drums format. So, you know, in writing a little more loose, um, I look at this record like taking the demos to their completion, you know, which is to say kind of the music I've always written, you know, in, in a way. But but now I just have the, you know, the ability or know-how to, to make a record sound like this, whereas I, I don't think I could have made this record 10 years ago or even now 15 years ago. Um, so it was nice to be able to do it. And, but the biggest drive of this record was just finding where truly where my voice is going to be sitting naturally. Whereas before it might be like the music comes first and it, that's going to dictate where I'm going to sing to it. And this, this was like writing the music and then kind of pitching the songs and finding exactly where the vocal is going to sit. Right. And that was kind of like, you know, mission one. Is that kind of why you decided this isn't going to be an ashes divide kind of a thing. And, and I really just need to, to hone this and, and put my name right out there on it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say just like your comments of not knowing what to expect and you hear it. I mean, if it was called ashes divide album two or whatever, you know, that would be, I felt like maybe that was almost a little disingenuous of like the project. Although, you know, we're going to play ashes divide songs on this tour. We played, we played one on this past tour. I was going to plan on doing more, but I kind of just stick to, stuck to the record, this record. But I think, you know, things will kind of get remolded from that first Ashes record into this, you know, this sound. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, the, the whole, I was thinking about calling this a whole different band name because it just seemed like it warranted it, I, I would think. And then, you know, it was really Greg Pucciato and, um, some other friends that just kind of, kind of convinced me into 
that I should use my name. I really didn't come, I really never thought of it. I never really thought of doing that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was an interesting evolution, but just enough time went by and I loosened up to the idea. You know, COVID kept putting delayed, um, kept making things delayed. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, I kind of loosened up to the idea. So there we are. Well, speaking of COVID and speaking of evolution, eat the elephant to me. And, and I'm curious to know how you feel about it, but it feels effortless in its musicality. It feels like maybe you're having, I guess, the most fun. And, and, and that's like a weird way to put it, but it, it, it feels like you're having the most fun on that album. Did it feel easier to write what Normal was after that? And, and, and have you been writing a lot since Eat the Elephant? Because it almost feels like that opened you up and, and you're kind of, yeah, like working on this effortless vibe right now. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say eat the elephant was too effortless. (laughs) Um, but, uh, there was a little bit more discovery going on with some of those songs. Um, whereas this record, uh, this record, I, I, I feel like in, in time on the calendar, it came together pretty quick, six months, I'd say, you know, there's sketches that were written ahead of time, but the concentrated recording was like really about six months. And, um, so, but it was a lot of sleepless, you know, maddening, you know, could not get the songs out of my head so I couldn't sleep. So I'm in a delirious state. Um, whereas Eat the Elephant was, you know, kind of broken up over, we, you know, started to record and hired a producer to come help me do it and, uh, went on tour, played a couple of the songs, came back and finished it up. So it was a little bit different process. You know, it was a little bit more stretched out. It was nice to kind of flush some of those songs out in a live sense too, before we recorded them. So, um, yeah, different processes, you know, but this one with what normal was, it really was like getting the sketches together, sticking with the 10 songs that I had and just starting in August of 19 and finishing really right before COVID hit, like, you know, winter of 2020. So, um, it was definitely fun because it was like just Danny and I, Danny Loner and I working on this record. And for the most part, except for having Josh Fries come in for two days and this guy, Tosh Peterson playing drums on another song for a day. And it was just like this, uh, I don't know, Danny and I were kind of like on the same page. So it felt like there was a lot of synergy there. And it was like, yeah, I guess it was a lot of fun doing this record more so than the elephant. Not that, not that it's not fun, but it's just like that was a little more, uh, you know, a little more labor. Well, did Eat the Elephant almost seem a little bit, <laughs> well, I, I guess by the end of it, you you just maybe had a bad taste in your mouth because it, it had been so long since the last album. And no matter what, it, it's hard to get away from, from the chatter out there. And and were you really just wanting just to get rid of it and, and have it done at that point? No, I know. I, I was excited to do it. It was, but there's a different process. You know, it was a, it was, a, it was a different process than any other record we had made. You know, it was, it was a little more, um, like I said, I hired a producer to help engineer and produce the record, which is the first time I've ever done that. I've always kind of been janitor and president musically, you know what I mean? Just sort of, I mean, Maynard has much input as well, but it, you know, obviously he has all the input on his lyrics, and his vocals, but, you know, as far as like the day-to-day production parts of it and just like getting to step back and let someone else deal with whether it's the most mundane things like backing up the files or just being in the room to engineer the drum sounds. And so it was, it was interesting to step back, but I mean, I'm, when you're used to doing it yourself and then I, you know, I don't know if it's ego or if it's just like the sound I like, that's hard to, you know, it's like cooking. I mean, I, I cook. So it's like, if you're, if you like and appreciate your own cooking and you go have somebody cook for you, you can kind of tell them even what to cook, but it's always going to be a little different. You know, doesn't mean not, you're not going to love it, but it's just, you know, if you're a little bit control freaky, you know, and maybe I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a freak, but I'm maybe a control, uh, a control freak adjacent. It's, you know, it's an interesting process. 
are you ever worried that I guess you're writing something a little bit too hard for Maynard? <laughs> and, and and you're thinking in your head, like, he's going to come back at me and absolutely just <laughs> hate, like, the time signature of this or, or anything like that? Or do you just really trust that he's going to find something in this and no matter what, you're, you're essentially going to have something out of it no matter what? I tr- No, I trust that he's going to be honest and say, I hear something or I don't hear something, you know? give me something else. I mean, that's happened before. I mean, on the first record, there was very little that didn't make the record. There's only a song delicious that was on eat the elephant was the one that he just never really cracked the code on by the end of that record. But we had, we felt like we had enough songs. So it just kind of moved on. Um, yeah, I, I you know, it, it's a relationship and it's almost like a romantic one. You know, you have to, you can't force the romance. You have to just kind of wait for that spark to, to come and if it's not there you got to go on you got to go to a different location for the date your music has always been very cinematic have you like do you really gather a lot of influences from film is score something that you really want to maybe get even more into as, as you get older and and just how much is film really meant to you yeah i mean film music it was a I mean, I, uh, it was a big driver of mood and, you know, gave a lane to look down um, with the music. But I, I don't think of it in one-to-one terms like that as I'm writing. I don't think about writing something more like film score. It's just, you know, these are, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I wrote music for a movie. Um, was originally called D Love, and they changed it to Tal, uh, Talita. And um, and I just the director just called me the other day and just reminded me that I never put it out. You know, I'm going to release that music at some point here. Um, but that's a very different thing. I mean, it, there's that is a very much just in service to the narrative of the movie, right? And at the director's whim, you know, or uh, at their uh, whatever they wish it to be. So you're there really as a soldier taking direction from a general. And it was an interesting and really cool process. I really liked it. I look forward to doing it again, but uh, I'm kind of waiting for someone to ask me. (laughs) And I'm not making it too known, I guess, except for right now, that I'm maybe looking to do that at some point. But um, yeah, it was fun. But it's also, that is a scary, that is a scary thing, like scoring. and I know that's kind of normal to feel that way. I've like listened to enough of interviews with great composers, maybe with the exception of Hans Zimmer, and, and they all seem to just be like, "I'm terrified." You know, you 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 get given the the locked film, and then you go, "What the hell am I going to do here?" You know. And I certainly felt like that on the movie I did. But then when you start chipping away at it, and you start to get some something under your belt, you feel good. And, and then by the end of it, I go, "I could score a movie." And, I could I could rip through the next movie, and of course you're not doing the next movie right away. So then you kind of atrophy and fall back into <laughs> fall back into uh, not knowing how to even crack the code on something. So I guess music's a little like that, but it was certainly more scary on the on the film front because it's not just you. It's not just like what I want to express. You're really there to you know you're you're hired to to fulfill the wishes of the director. Well, and even stepping into like something like a music video, how much input are are you having when you're thinking of the music videos? Are you really coming with those ideas even right after the song's uh, written? I I've thought of some things. I try not to now. I've been more along the lines of let me see, almost like the relationship with Maynard. Like give the song to him, see what inspires. Where is that conversation, musical conversation going? I just do the same thing with the, you know, the music. I've, I've made the song. Now, how does it, how does somebody interpret it? How does a music director interpret this and, um, and try and get out of their way. So I'm just wrapping up the final, you know, touch-ups of, uh, you know, after you get out of their way, then you get in their way at the very end, kind of tighten up some of the details. So we're just finishing a music video for song Annie right now. Um, and, uh, it's funny. It's almost like within um, knowing what to do with your own project. Like I feel like I could help somebody else 
with promotion and almost management of their project much more clearly than I can for my own. And I feel like the same thing with music videos. I think I could, I could make a great music video for another, for another artist, but, uh, <laughs> for some reason it feels a little, I don't know, uh, elusive to me to do it for my, for my own music, but maybe I'll get past that on the next video for these first three. I definitely wanted to have somebody else do them. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, w- I would I'll, love to see you come in and direct. That would be awesome. Yeah. I've done some little, little things here and there, but not for my music. So, I yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I got the gear. I'm kind of a gear nerd. I mean, Ken Andrews and I were, are sort of very, we're very similar as far as like what we geek out on within, you know, editing and cinematography and lighting and things like that and, you know, gear. And, so, yeah, I look, I look forward to doing it here some someday soon so would you also say that you're a gear nerd when it comes to music like are you trying to even make your own new instruments are you trying to find these world instruments and and thinking about maybe incorporating them into something one day or anything like that you know more so more so like in pedals i've talked to um i've talked to a company about doing some pedals and you know i have my signature amp which really was only sold under the moniker, uh, it's a Friedman amp called Naked, and Dave Friedman and I were talking about, you know, kind of restarting that production. It's kind of out of production now, and, and Gibson with a guitar. Like there, there's certain things I was gonna do, but for the most part, when it comes to what I think are maybe more interesting sounds, I'm kind of just pounding on tables or, you know, making string sounds out of half full glasses of water. You know, like I, I would just like to mess around with things like that and then take them in the computer and completely put it into the digital realm and just kind of destroy it from there and hopefully make something unique, you know, but, but a lot of times, you know, this, this record has a lot of class, what normal was has a lot of classic synth sounds and, um, and guitars that are trying to be synths and synths that are somewhat mimicking guitars. So, you know, I try and just kind of blur the lines where I can, but I think that just comes from, I just, you know, I, I don't know, just from DNA more than really overly trying to do something tricky. I just look back on it and I go, I guess those guitars do pretty much sound like synths on this record. You know, a lot of them. How much do you think growing up where, where you grew up and hearing the outdoor noises really impacted it as well? Because like being in the East, you have everything from this atmospheric ski culture where you hear a bird and it's just nothing or you could be listening to your own music on a ski hill to just industrial kind of sounds. How much did that really yeah. influence you growing up also? Well, I've never really thought of it, but I mean, yeah, the sitting, laying down in snow in that absolute silence, like very eerie science silence. I mean, I didn't have ringing in my ears back when I grew up in New Jersey when I was a kid. So sitting, you know, when you collapse into like a foot of snow, it's truly the, the most terrifyingly quiet thing you've ever heard, but peaceful too. And um, yeah, I mean, I grew up on a lake and, you know, ice, ice skating and hearing the, the expansion and, you know, contraction of the ice is, is a ominous, is an ominous thing, you know? But yeah, I, I think that more than anything, like the, the sound of winter, the sound of the silence of winter is pretty, amazing that's pretty inspiring but i don't know that again it was one-to-one but i mean you you grew up with these things and i guess it comes out in music who knows i mean i you grew up in the desert i mean the sound of the desert does come out i mean where maynard when he moved to arizona truly i i you know it's hard to miss but pussifer sounds like the desert a lot of it did you well i guess were you a winter kid did you ski did you play hockey did you do stuff like that Yes, yes. Yeah, played hockey as soon as we could. I mean, back then, when I was a kid, the lake froze by, could freeze by Thanksgiving, definitely by Christmas. So, yeah, that was that was always a thing. You know, you shovel your driveway on a snow day from school, and, and then when you're done with shoveling the neighbor's parking spot and your deck and the whole thing, you go back down the lake and shovel an ice rink with your friends and, and yeah, start playing hockey. And uh, skiing, not as much. It was a little bit more of a rich kid sport, but you know, I, I joined the ski club when I was like in high school and went to do that, like whatever it was every Wednesday night. Um, yeah, 
but loved it. But yeah, in the summer too. I mean, I, I was, I was a pretty, I had a, you know, classic outdoor childhood, you know, played sports and swam. I was on the swim team from the age of five to 17 and played football, baseball and wrestled. So I kind of did all that. Now I got to ask, are you a Devils fan? Double what? Are, are you a Devils fan? What is that? I don't even know what that is. Oh, just the New Jersey Devils. Just the uh, the, oh, the, the hockey Devils, team. Devils fan. Oh, no. I never watched any professional sports, honestly. I only really watched football when I was younger. And then I started betting on it when I became, when I was like 18, 19. I had a bookie <laughs> and, and, and bet, and it ruined me. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like the equivalent of like doing X and depleting your serotonin, right? You just like have no pleasure for watching sports anymore. That's the way I looked at it. It was like after I bet and, it, and then I stopped betting, I was like, oh, I'm not interested in watching anymore. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. There's a question that I've always, always wondered about you. And that's, and that's the tapeworm thing because Maynard really was bringing in everybody that he was associated with at any point in time when this project was maybe a thing, maybe not a thing. Were you ever supposed to be a part of that? No. No, I had nothing to do with it. it, was, it was, as far as I knew, it was just Danny and Maynard and then Trent got involved. And maybe Trent had more. I don't even know. Danny was just here about 10 minutes ago. He just left my studio. He's going to come back soon. If he, if we're still on the phone, I'll ask him. Perfect. But yeah, I had nothing to do with it. I want to take you back to Murder Noms. What did you feel like when that album finally got released to the world? Because it was commercial. It was critical. It, like Everything just kind of hit with that album. Did you expect yeah. that? And... Honestly, looking back at it, do do you listen to it every, on occasion? And would you have changed anything about that album? Um. So, yeah, it was it was absolutely talk about a whirlwind. It was definitely a whirlwind. Um, that uh, I I was oh god it, yes I've listened to it kind of recently mostly for when i needed to like when i was doing a kind of a look back and song by song analysis for um some press i just did not that long ago but i've put it on and i listened through to it i was cooking one day and just put it on front to back and listened to it and it was pretty exciting to hear it to be honest it was it was pretty cool and because i i talk about the record and people bring it up you know especially even on this past tour i'm going to do this and I get it. People are going to bring up that they, you know, what that record was to them. And, and, uh, and I hear the stories through other people's, you know, I, I feel that record through other people's stories at this point, you know, for the most part, but back when it was going on, it, I mean, yeah, it was, it was exhilarating. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And everything was hitting all at once. I mean, the, the, the lineup of the David Fincher video for Judith and, getting the Nine Inch Nails tour and, and really having Nancy Berry from Virgin Records just being like a sixth band member, you know, someone that really cared enough to fight with us about stuff in the best way, you know, and then obviously having Maynard have a built, you know, a, a built-in following from Tool. But we were still, you know, when we started, before we were signed, we were playing, you know, tiny places, like, you know, 200 to 500 seat bars and, clubs and not filling them you know not always so it was you know we definitely had some work to do and um i really think getting on you know getting on that right opening tour is a huge huge deal so um you know it was just but one thing was landing after the next everyone seemed to be uh into judith i'll tell you a quick story about judith that in i think it was late late fall 99 right before we started mixing the record we uh maynard was friends with rob halford and he came over to our house that you know rented in north hollywood where my our, you know my studio was played him i think we played him like eight songs is what we had you know i, I had mixed eight songs by then and um we were convinced we wanted to release three libras first that was like there was no question about it 
and really didn't even consider it. I thought Judith was a strong song, but didn't consider it as like a first single or anything. Maybe just thinking like, there's no chorus. Maybe that's, you know, <laughs> our thinking in 1999, like, well, get on the radio. Like, what is the format of this song? I mean, and Rob heard the whole record. He asked us to play that song again. And um, I think it was called Judith at that point. And uh, he said, you do whatever you want, but if you release that song, you're going to sell a million records on that song alone. We're like, what? He goes, if you put that out first, you will sell a million records on that song. I'm telling you. And we were really just like, well, thanks, but it, it, it didn't quite <laughs> compute. And then we just kind of took it, you know, and then once we were shopping a record deal, people really responded to it. You know, so sometimes you're a little bit too close to, to know what everyone else is going to, you know, have an opinion of the outfit that you wore to the wedding. You might think it's a good idea, but they're like, yeah, that's, that's not a good idea or yeah, that's a great suit. So, um, you know, sometimes you need an outside opinion. Speaking of too close, I'm curious, like, did you think that the band was going to be that band, I guess, forever? And 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 those members were, were going to stick in the band forever? Or did you kind of just always see this as a, a, a maybe a rotating kind of a thing? I, I have to say, I don't know. I, in all honesty, I thought... Um, I knew that Maynard was going to go back to Tool. I just didn't know. It was a little unspoken and didn't know into, into how, into what capacity he was going to be still interested in doing it. You know, I just didn't know. And I wasn't, I wasn't pushing any which way, you know, I, I kind of, for better or worse and probably for worse, I'm not very, um, business driven, <laughs> you know? So I, I just kind of went with whatever he wanted to do. You know, if it, there was a hole in his schedule, he felt like he could do this, this, uh, band and that was great. And I just kind of tried to be my best Buddhist and, you know, take the day for what the day was. And, um, but as it was going on, it seemed crazy not to keep on it. You know, I want, I thought we'd have another record, pretty soon after and it felt like an eternity until 13 step came out which now i'm thinking back i mean god it's like from may what was it i, I may 23rd 2000 was married and alms and 13 step was 2003 and it's like nothing <laughs> and then made her put out a tool record in between it's, it's just crazy how much output was coming out of him at that time Going past 13 Step, did you really always see a covers album coming <laughs> with this band? Mm. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I, I think time was not going to allow for, for anything else. I think, like, you know, I had a smaller window of time with Maynard. And once we got done with that tour, um, that's, you know, what he wanted to do. So that's kind of where we went. And, um, that was a fast, that was a fast and furious, um, recording process. I just, you know, my wife and I just had our first kid right then. And that was like, just having it, you know, having a baby and then immediately like as the baby's an infant, not, we're not sleeping. And then making that record was, that was crazy. Cause the, you know, the studio was in my house. It was in the basement of my house for 13 step and emotive and the Ashes divide first record. So man, you think about like lack of sleep and creativity. I don't know how it happens, but it's kind of torturous. So where was the studio for what normal was then? Oh, here in my current house. Oh, okay. I, have a, I have a new place. Yeah. It's a different studio, but I did. If, um, Whatever I did on Eat the Elephant and then what normal was was done here. How often are you like trying to find new equipment for your studio? Are you are you playing around all the time, always writing, always doing something new in there? I'm not a gear. I'm kind of, um, aside from software, 
I don't get into a lot of new stuff. And kind of by design. For, for Eat the Elephant, I did. And Eat the Elephant was the most experimental gear record that I've ever made, for sure. And that came to going over to my um, friend Oliver Lieber's studio, who he has like a museum of unbelievable instruments, amps and guitars and drums. It's just, it's unreal. You know, but it's his private studio, but it, it's truly, he's like a collector. And uh, so that was really fun for him to just give me, you know, the keys to the castle and just kind of play in there. So, um, but normally I, I kind of stick to the same gear and just see what I can kind of squeeze out of it. I, I kind of like it. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a comfort zone or I find it, it's even more challenging, you know, because you have to, sometimes, you know, a new sound can really inspire and direct a song and you have to find new ways to make things kind of fresh. So, um, you know, but the world's full of new plugins all the time and new synth instruments. And, and as time goes on, it's easier to take things in the acoustic world, like I said, beating on your chest and micing it up or making strange mouth noises and turn them into synth instruments. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have kids and they're slightly getting interested in music or just talking to their friends who are more interested in music now or, or really are getting into it. And, you know, we sound, you sound so dated and old explaining, you know, me and my musician friends like Charlie Clauser or Danny, like we're talking about just like, oh my God, the hoops we would jump through, especially in the 90s to get anything to work and be solid and professional. It's you know, it's so easy now, but now the hard part is restraint. You know, now the hard part is just focus and not being so ADD because you've got the world, you know, you've got the, you know, the whole world of musical information at your fingertips. And now what are you going to do with it? And, and it's, and the, and the stakes are almost a little higher because it's like, well, now what you can do anything. So what do you got? You know, before we only had like, know shanks and now you've got the fucking nuclear bomb and you could just like say well that's what do you 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 got a you got a lot to answer for with the the biggest weapons in the world at your disposal do you find like you're finding a lot of new stuff through your children now like music uh music they listen to yeah uh some yeah yeah some Although you've um, always been like on, <laughs> you, you're always there. Whenever I travel to LA, I feel like I see you in the show and I'm like, I don't know that anybody is on the pulse more than Billy, <laughs> like every single time. No, no, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I should go out more and I always, every time I go out, I go, God, why don't I go out more? It's like, it's so, it's a double-edged sword though. It's like you go out and get inspired. Like I just went out, uh, weekend last weekend to go see nine inch nails in at red rocks and um i flew out there just for the weekend and i was like it was great but it was also like god i want to be on stage playing and i mean i just cut off tour but i i i'm lucky i'm truly lucky i've got that like burning desire to do it you know like i, I want to i want to play more than anything i want to perform live more than anything and I love making music. I mean, that's the thing that allows you to go play live, right? But, I mean, there is just something um, that completely made sense for me once I was around the live environment. And that, that was even when I was a tech, working for bands, but certainly by the time I started playing. You know, it's just that everything made sense at that point. Well, especially in a place like Red Rocks. Like, what is your yeah. favorite venue to play? I mean, it's hard to beat that. It's almost not fair, you know, saying that. Um, <laughs> well, there, there, there is yeah, some that, there is some cool outdoor amphitheaters, but I really think that that is the pinnacle at this point. Yeah, and I, you know what? It's the first time I ever saw a concert at Red Rocks. I've I've worked there for many bands, like I said in the '90s. I Perfect Circles played there. I don't even know how many times. Four, at least three, maybe six. I can't even remember, but I think it's like four or five. Um, the best seat in the house, unfortunately, is on the stage looking up. It's, it's the best. 
I was in the, you know, I was in the crowd watching and it was magical and it was great. But when you, I went on stage for the last like three songs, it kind of was in the tech, you know, on the wings. And looking back up at the rocks lit up and the whole, and the whole crowd, I mean, it's just insane. It's just, it's the coolest place. If, if, you know, you're listening or reading this, uh, yeah, that should be a bucket list for everybody to go to a show at Red Rocks. Do you prefer playing outdoor shows to begin with? Or do you actually, outside no. of something like an amphitheater, does, do you actually like dread playing an outdoor show? No, I like it. It's great. If you're playing an outdoor show, that means it's a pretty big show. you know. And I think it sounds better. There's less technical things to worry about in an outdoor show except for rain, you know, wind. But um, no, the, the, the controlled, you know, if, you know, we're lucky enough to play arenas again. I mean, it's always the best to be on an arena stage in a controlled environment. Um, you know, there's something very special about clubs too, the raw energy and the connection you're right there. But if you're trying to put on, you know, production, it's just, you know, you've got room to breathe and it's, it's pretty amazing. So the indoor to outdoor from an arena to a amphitheater, I don't know, a nice big arena with a dark, when the lights go out, it's pretty special. Walking into a club, though, is there a specific kind of thing that you look for? As as somebody who was a guitar tech at one time, are you looking for certain ways that the sound's going to maybe hit a wall or, or where maybe you should set this monitor up? Is there something that you look for in a room when you walk into it? Or, is it, or do you just treat everything as a fresh canvas, essentially? I, I mean... Like on this past tour, it was a little more, we're just, we're just, I wouldn't call it gorilla, but it was, you know, we didn't have a lighting person. So it was the lighting person du jour. Um, Vows from, from, uh, excuse me, Riz from Vows was kind of played liaison to the lighting person too. Cause you know, she, what she wanted is what I wanted. So she would talk to them and I'd just say, you know, kind of, give you know she just gave them kind of general notes for me which was really nice um but other than that you know we're just we were just putting on a very you know a very first run uh, a very raw first tour kind of experience and um you know it wasn't that big production in a little place it's a big music it, like technically it's complicated you know, what normal was is a little bit more, well, I would say probably the most sophisticated or comp- complex music I've ever kind of tried to pull off because there's a lot, there's so many different synth sounds and the way to like, who's going to play what at what time it's, it's challenging for sure. But other than that, it was just definitely more of a, you know, a small club run. And I look forward to doing something more. I really do look forward to doing a, a more proper headline tour, you know, next go around. So but, and then I'll care about all those things that you asked, <laughs> you know, it, it, like tightening down every screw of, you know, sonic and visual desires. Did it feel a little bit freeing that you had somebody like Danny to kind of help that out and figure out how you were maybe going to pull this off live? Yeah. I mean, Danny was more, um, Danny adds the danger element on stage, you know, <laughs> and Danny's, you know, one of my very best friends. And, um, so that's a, that was just fun having him there. And, you know, usually we're we're not working in that capacity. So, um, yeah, technically, um, I, I mean, I'm still kind of music director when it comes to this, you know, it will be nice someday to have somebody else kind of stress on those details, but, you know, mostly it was me, most of the time I was working with Nilo, my keyboard player and getting her to, you know, getting the patches together with her playback tracks and things like that. So, um, that was where all the work was, but that's like, you know, the foundation of the record. Now that all that stuff's done, I can kind of see what the next configuration of this band looks like. I don't know if it's going to be a three piece or a four piece or a five piece again. Um, but that's going to be the kind of difference next time out is that it will probably look a little different, you know, cause who knows who I'm going to, get to play in this next go round i just don't know what it's going to be exactly 
what can we expect from you coming up? Do you have any, I guess, tour plans planned out? Do you have any things that you're writing right now? Anything in the future that we can, that we can really look forward to? Yeah. The bummer is I had a European tour opening for someone who will remain nameless. And, um, that fell through that we thought was going to happen. So, so yeah, trying to re, you know, uh, redirect course and, um, figure what the next move's going to be. And, yeah, I'm always kind of writing. I'm starting to play guitar a little bit more. Like I've been not playing as much guitar in recent years. I just kind of write with the computer or with keys or programming and and kind of play guitar. You know, they say eat to live or live to eat. I was kind of <laughs> making music and just kind of letting. It was almost like the tantric sex equivalent for guitar you know i just like not play much and then pick it up and feel musically horny and see what comes out <laughs> and uh you know now i've been more kind of playing again like playing playing not too much but just in the past like two three weeks i was like oh shit gotta get calluses back on my hands would you say when you first start writing something that you kind of think about it on the keys first yeah, I mean, in more recent years, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say for the past, like, 15 years or so. Um, and it's just a little bit more immediate, you know, that the ideas can come together quicker. I mean, uh, I can kind of, you know, you can kind of get the whole vision of the song down with two hands and maybe humming a vocal. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Every song's every song's different, though. There's no, I don't really have a whole lot of format. I'm like even on my computer on my DAW, you know, within Logic, I don't have a template set up kind of purposely. If I was scoring a movie, I would because you, the time is of the essence. But I, I just do. I like starting from completely from scratch and just see what happens. Well, Billy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I. First off, I hope that you make it back up to Canada soon because I love watching you live. And I I truly believe this new album is one of the best things you've ever written. So thank you for uh, putting it you. out there. And I really hope everybody checks it out. Thank you so much. Oh, awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Bye. Another way is on the way. Another moment's passing by. While you and I pretend There was something left to try Faith and in denial Intentions pure
This concludes our broadcast day.